0: You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Josh, would you like to fire up the fortuneizer and tell us which season of Doctor Who we are going to be talking about today?
1: Okay, Fortunizer is going, and it's coming to a stop, and the season we're going to do today is... Season 15. <laughs> hey! <laughs>
0: Welcome to episode 50 of the Blue Bucks podcast. I'm JR in Exeter.
1: I am Stephen in Edmonton. I'm Josh in Boston.
0: And I'm Mark in Exeter. And as a little treat for the start of the podcast, I have... Well, I've got something for Stephen and I've got something for Josh and I've tailored them specifically to each one of you. But I think we'll save Josh's for the end of the episode. Mark, if I don't remember this, remind me, okay? Okay. Right, Stephen, here's a little something for you. Okay. Season 15, we have the seven questions of Doctor Who Hell. Are you ready for this? I'll do my best. Okay, question one. What was the serial code (laughs) for horror of Fang Rock?
2: (laughs) 4V. (laughs) <laughs> didn't even Okay blink. which
0: episode No he didn't, did he? I didn't think he would. Which episode in season fifteen achieved the highest chart position? Oh
2: crap. <laughs> Image of the Fendall <laughs> episode two, I have no idea.
0: No, it's Horror of Fang Rock Part four. Oh wow. And it and it came in at twenty third. That's the highest Uh, that's the highest chart position that uh, was achieved during season 15 okay question three which story achieved the lowest average viewing figure
2: you're worse than andrew smith um (laughs) (laughs) i'm pretty bad i'm gonna say underworld
0: it was image of the fendal 7.8 million average Okay, you'll get this next one. Which story, question four, which story had the serial code 4W? This
2: is The Sunmakers. Thanks. (laughs) Very good. Thanks for reaffirming the notion that I am a one-trick pony.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was hoping you'd at least guess some of the others. You've got three more questions, all all on viewing figures, but you may guess them.
2: (laughs) Viewing figures and production codes. Okay, good.
0: Well, if you uh, well, if you remember back to the last question before the last serial code question, that might be a help with this one. Question five: Which story achieved the lowest average chart position?
2: I'm gonna have to say Image of the Fendal. Very good, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> that uh, that wasn't left which... on a platter for me at all. No. <laughs>
0: Okay, this one is probably the answer to this one will be the absolute opposite of probably your expectations. So, question six: Which episode achieved the highest viewing figure for the whole season?
2: Um, I'm going to say Underworld Part Four.
0: Very good. It was indeed. <laughs> wow. Eleven point seven million. <laughs>
2: That's a complete eleven point seven watched Underworld. Wow. Oh, yeah, eleven. <laughs> Whereas it is an all-time Image classic. Fendal,
0: well, and finally, question seven: uh, Which story achieved the highest average viewing figures across all its episodes?
2: Oh, let's go with uh, Horror of Fang Rock.
0: Well, I was going to say the number of episodes then, but that would have given it dead away. <laughs> Invasion of Time. <laughs> Very good. <Yeah>. ten point <laughs> 10. <laughs> 10. five million. Whereas Horror of Fang Rock actually achieved an average of eight point four. <laughs> okay. Early season. Viewing figures picked up
2: right across the year, I mm-hmm. I'm anyway. It's a shame that you didn't do the uh, uh the season sixteen because there's that weird misnomer, I think, power of crawl. Um, Part 2 got 12.6 million, and Part 3 got something like 6.3. It literally halved. Oh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. it did. But the the fact that Power of Kroll, like, there's this one weak jump that everyone decided, we have to see what happens to Rome Dutt in this episode that (laughs) everyone in in England had to tune in. in Oh, it was
1: probably snowing or something, and nobody could leave their house.
2: (laughs) I'm thinking, yeah, there's probably some strike or something on ITV or whatever. Yeah, that
3: sounds more likely. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: Pro- I should look. I could look it up. I've got all my about time books. About you mean you don't know? Two feet away from me. No, I don't know. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. I'm sure. But no, we're supposed to be talking about season fifteen, not season sixteen. Um, before we get into the stories, because what we've done is what we always do. We've voted them in our order of preference, and then we should talk about them in reverse order. But before we do. Seeing as we're all coming at this from different parts of the world, I think we should just take a moment to talk about how we actually first saw these stories, because I think probably the four of us will have seen them in different ways. Josh, for example, you would have been in America and was it the case at the time you saw these episodes that you had the first four seasons of Tom Baker on a loop? So after yep. Invasion of Time, you looped right back to Robot? Yes,
1: that is absolutely correct. Uh, I watched uh, Doctor Who from about 1981 on. Um, a little bit with some uh, w- with some interruption in there. I think I got to see one part on a Friday and then the next part on a Friday. But started to fall in love with the show enough for my parents to let me watch it more. Uh, and yes, so we saw uh, the Tom Baker stories from Robot to Invasion of Time over and over and over again, much to probably many of your <laughs> uh, listeners' chagrin. And uh, so season 15 was something that I had seen several times by the time 1983-84 came around. Um, so And in fact... Go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say, invasion of time must because you were saying that over and over. Were you aware there was more before and after, or did you look at, like the invasion of time as the finale to the entire series?
1: I I didn't really know what to think, and I don't think I thought about it too hard. I think I just uh, just thought, you know, maybe there might be something afterwards. Uh, I I pretty much guessed that there was something before it because. At the beginning of robot of the way at the beginning of robot, you know. he didn't start out as Tom Baker. he started out as this old man who I didn't recognize. So uh, I just assumed that there was something going on before. and, and luckily, in 1982, they actually bought Rebus' operation through Legopolis, and so uh, it was a party for me. Uh, it was my first experience <laughs> with New Who. Uh, so after that, I just started uh, really getting into it and really enjoying uh, the next seasons.
0: So Stephen, how in Canada was it the same as that, or was that different?
2: No, we uh, we didn't have any. Well, at least in, in Western Canada, where I'm from, in Eastern Canada they had uh, TVO, TV Ontario, was a public station there that used to run Doctor Who a lot in the 70s and 80s. It is, in fact, due to them uh, and their their copies of um, uh, some John Pertwee stories that they actually exist in color. Uh, to this day, I think Curse of Peladon and Sea Devils and a couple others actually came back from Canada and then had to have their reverse standards correction put upon it and such. But, uh, but in Western Canada, uh, we picked up a, um, a PBS station from Spokane, Washington, and so that's where I uh, first saw it. And I, I'm... Fairly sure, apart from the very first glimpse of Tom Baker running around a console that I saw at a friend's house one day that actually introduced me to the show. I think one of, if not my earliest memory is of watching Tom Baker... um, Talk to Edas. Is it Edas uh, yep. in the um, in the spaceship uh, and looking at his his injured foot or something in Underworld, and then a, a bit of runaround after that. That is probably my earliest oh, memory yeah. of, of Doctor of Doctor Who, and I remember bits of Invasion of Time as well. But oddly enough, uh, the the first four stories of that whole um, season are complete blanks to me when in the early formative years. So I think I probably saw them properly maybe two or three years after that.
0: I had a similar experience with season 10 where the last two stories are like really distinct in my memories and the first three just don't exist
2: and it's weird because (laughs) I mean this is a time when when the PBS station was airing you know each individual episode every single night like five nights a week you had Doctor Who so it's weird that I would just sort of completely miss out on those and then the second time it came around again I just happened to miss out on them again so
1: yeah, I mean, that, that, that's wow. pretty common, More. actually. Oh.
2: That's pretty common, because
1: when I first started watching, quite honestly, uh, I, I only saw, like, episodes. I didn't see full stories. So I, I guess that's the way I remember it. You know, episode three here, episode two there.
0: Wow. <laughs> not the best way to watch it, I don't suppose. Probably
1: not, but still loved it anyway.
0: Yeah, I guess if you watch a, just an individual episode, it's a bit like having the um, Lost in Time set, isn't it, <laughs> where you can only see two episodes of The Crusade. I guess that was your first experience of Tom Baker, very similar.
1: It, it, was, it was more like a scenario where I didn't really get into the habit of watching it every day on my PBS station until later. So I liked it, but it was about opportunity. And, and so yeah. that, that, that's how it started.
0: And Mark, you missed out on this. On Obviously, I saw these on first broadcast in mm-hmm. the UK. But Mark, you would have missed out on that. So you would have caught these episodes, these stories, completely out of order, yeah. piecemeal as they were released on VHS.
3: Well, uh, I would have been too young to watch them on the original run. So to get it actually repeated on TV was unheard of on network In this TV. country? Yeah. Um so while you guys were lapping it up we were getting absolutely nothing of the old shows. Um so probably my first chance to really see season 15 chronologically was through a channel on Sky back in the 90s called UK Gold. They bought up the rights to all the old Doctor Who and started showing those so that's probably the first time. So quite a wait. And did you and did you see did you actually
0: watch them in order then on UK Gold?
3: Yeah, they used to run them um, kind of similar to what you guys were saying. You'd have like a an episode a night and they would also have an omnibus on a Sunday. So they would kind of show the whole thing uh, on a Sunday as a catch up. So actually, all four of us pretty
0: much saw these these six stories in sequence, more or less at some point. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep, definitely. Yep.
0: Oh, wow there we go uh before we get into the individual stories then um season 15 kind of comes between the end of Hinchcliffe and Holmes and a really strong couple of seasons in 13 and 14 and um, before 16 and 17 which is probably where Graham Williams really kind of gets to grip with the show do is do we think do we think of season 15 as a Bit of a lull between two strong periods. It's
2: a, maybe it's a transition, if anything. Uh, I mean, yeah. r- the the holdover being Robert Holmes, who stayed about six months after Philip Hinchcliffe left. Uh, Robert Holmes is still script editor, and you can tell. Like horror Fang Rock, Image of the Fendal, and possibly the Sunmakers, which he wrote, uh, are definitely not. You know, uh, you could easily throw horror Fang Rock and Image of the Fendal into a, a Hinchcliffe produced season, and it wouldn't look out of place. And I think Sunmakers is, is a weird sort of humorous story that's kind of in between. And then Invisible Enemy, Underworld, and Invasion of Time are all so Graham Williams um, yeah. that uh, it was him finding his feet. So it's it's weird. It's, it's odd that there's a season in Doctor Who that sort of bridges the gap like that so much. You don't usually get that. No, you don't. Maybe a little bit in Tom Baker's first year, but that's only because Barry Letts produced Robot, and that was made right after they shot... Uh, planet of the yeah. Spiders, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and so it has a completely different feel from the Ark in Space, for instance. Uh, but it was two different and producers. Of
0: course. Oh, go on, josh you,
1: you might be able to argue, although uh, I, we we've discussed this probably before. Stephen is the is the Innis, John Wiles and his Lloyd transition was somewhat similar as well, where mm-hmm. you had some of the the stories that were that were being built at that time, kind of had a more of a uh, the John Wiles era was such so so small, so short. Uh, but some of the the transition has to do with the fact that stories are commissioned um, uh, by an earlier producer and then and then actually executed by the current producer. So it's not unnatural. It's happened before, and and yeah, and you you, you do you do actually see
0: seasons. it. Yeah, season 7 and season 12 both have that, actually, where the stories have been commissioned by one producer and then produced by another who kind of puts his stamp on them, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, Genesis of the Daleks is in some ways very similar to Planet of the Daleks and Death to the Daleks and then in other ways completely <laughs> unlike them
2: yeah there, there's a hard dividing line between Terry Nation's original scripts and what Hinchcliffe and Holmes did to them and and I don't think that's the case in, in season 15 it's almost like there's a hard line here's the stories that came before Graham Williams came along and here's the ones that he has control of after there's no like you know stamp there's no Graham Williams stamp in Horror Fang Rock for instance it's, it's pretty much all no. Hinchcliffe and Holmes right
1: I think that that, that's what separates it is that season 15 is really individual stories are are definitely based on the producer versus others where it's it's an amalgamation sometimes of two producers or two different thought processes that live in one story um, and that, mm. that seems to have happened previously
0: in fact they, the invisible enemy is absolutely where the Graham Williams era kicks in isn't it
2: yeah and it's odd because it, that was the first one produced, um, of the whole season. It was, even though it was aired second, it was made first, and then followed up by. Um, I know the production codes, but I don't know the alphabet. V W X. So, uh, <laughs> of a horror Fang Rock Sunmakers and Image of the Vendal. Fond- it's a weird production schedule in that in that season, and that there's completely different styles. Um, you know back and forth for the first four stories before they settle down into the Williams era with Underworld and an Evasion of Time
0: right I guess we should talk about the stories otherwise we're never going to get around to it (laughs) are we um the voting well the story that we voted into last place and two of us put this as our least favorite story but not everybody and it was Underworld and Stephen, I'm going to come to you first because you actually
2: put that among your three favorite stories. And it might be because, as we discussed, it was the, my very first memory of Doctor Who, and to poo poo that would be like to poo poo my entire love of the show. I mean, if I hated if I hated something that I watched for the first time, why did I bother watching it? But yeah. it's um, I think what I like most about it is I mean there's everyone says oh it looks terrible with all the blue screen but the fact that they actually tried it and you know believe they could get away with it because i think they shot i don't know what 60% of the thing on on cso uh, yeah. on a normal studio shoot like they they produced so much in so short amount of time that is just unheard of by today's production standards and and some of them were kind of i mean they're actually trying to like sort of move the camera along and try to move along the set at the same time. It wasn't like scene sync in Megalos. They didn't have that technology yet. And I think it's, it's just the, the, uh, the plucky nature of them trying to get by when the budget cuts were just completely ravaging Doctor Who at this time. Hinchcliffe really got out at the best time he possibly could. And the model shots are fantastic. Um, and, and the big giant set that they used for the Persephone, or the P7E rather, uh is it looks really good there's some really good stuff going on in underworld that i think gets overlooked a lot by you know the fact that i think it's probably slightly underwritten too i think a couple of the episodes are maybe 20 to 21 minutes long and use the same clips in two or three different episodes and such but i speak highly of it because i am always entertained by it and and tom baker's wonderful in it and and and, and it's 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 i like leela's uh, reaction to edas you know sort of being a caring nurturing person and, and saying that do not worry the doctors saved many fathers and stuff like that it's, it's it's just lovely i always have fun watching underworld i like it i have to say i voted it
0: last but it's one of those stories that i can put it on and enjoy it and it has a really really strong first episode I think a lot of people seem uh, seem to forget that with the Graham Williams story. Some of the Graham Williams stories that underperform a bit, they always start really strongly. Invisible Enemy is another example of a story that doesn't necessarily get to the finish line in the best order, but it starts off really well. And Underworld is very strong. And the other thing about it is those sets and the CSO on the small televisions that people would have been watching on back then they probably wouldn't have noticed they would probably have looked pretty good to most people
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is something to think and, about the context of the age
0: yeah josh what did you think of underworld so
2: uh, first
1: i want to i want to just mention in regards to the budget cuts it wasn't so much that they cut the budget is that that inflation was going absolutely rampant at that yeah. time and and the money that they had available to them actually was worth less by the time they got to the latter parts of the season so they just didn't have any money because they were spending it hand over fist unknowingly um anyway in regards to underworld i agree with you jr in that underworld it has a special place in my heart i don't have any major issues with underworld i don't have major issues with many of the stories in this season and we'll get to invisible enemy in a little while but um (laughs) but it's it's a it's fun it's a fun story it's got a really great message and i'm i think i'm on record i love stories that have great messages attached to them uh and i i love the 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 connection to the time lords on this one uh we we've 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 shifted into talking a little bit more about the Time Lords versus versus before, and this one th- there's this notion that the Time Lords actually did involve themselves in the in this uh, in this uh, community, if you will, this uh, this race, and uh, um, yeah. and and actually shared with them some technology and uh, you know the technology of regeneration. That was a, a very interesting part of all this. Is that these these four or five people have regenerated several times see so you, just opening up the the, uh, the possibility that the Doctor can regenerate more than 12 times well they certainly did that the Minions of Minos certainly uh, regenerated several times um, uh, for over 100,000 years or whatever it was and uh, and you're right so that all came like in that first part uh, and once they once they got down to the planet I think as a kid I think I started to lose my understanding of what was going on because it seemed to me that there, this new planet was being created around around this ship and suddenly we've got this underworld and we've got all... I mean, it was just very confusing at that point to me. Um it's
0: a Bob Baker and Dave Martin, after all, so you can't exactly <laughs> expect the science to make a lot of sense. <laughs> it,
1: it was kind of messy in that way, and but you expect at least an uh, eleven or twelve-year-old to at least appreciate it or, or 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 understand it at their level. And I had issues with it even back then, uh, but 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 I liked it. I, I mean, I I like the idea behind it, and and uh, I I like I like happy endings, and it appears to be there was a nice happy ending to that. Um,
0: and there's some great sequences in it as well. Is it the the episode two cliffhanger where Tom Baker the gas?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Whatever he, blows
2: can be oh, sucked. Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: that's really really creepy. I find every time I watch it.
1: I like his little, uh, you know, with mm-hmm. the with the scarf going back and forth right in front of his face. <laughs> I have that I have that picture <laughs> yes. in my mind of him doing that. Yeah.
3: Mark, go on. Um. I don't hate it, I just had to (laughs) vote in order of my preference and this just happened to be the one that I liked the least. Um, I think if you look at it in the context, as you guys have said already, of the situation they had, as Josh said, the, the state of inflation was crazy. I think I read somewhere that they'd originally budgeted for the sets, for the caves part of it, and by the time they came around to shoot it, the actual cost had inflated by about 300%. So the fact they've got Crazy. anything on screen at all is incredible. And I think uh the guys who actually put it on screen deserve a lot of credit. Um yeah, it, it it looks a bit wobbly. The the blue screen doesn't always work, but um, yeah, you know, to get something watchable on the screen I think is commendable.
0: And of course you do watch it on such a ruddy great
3: tally mark. Ah, oh, it's not that big. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be seen on a very small telly, yeah, yeah, Josh. you brought up something quite interesting that actually makes me think of Doctor Who now, the continuity of the time Lords at the time, I think between seasons thirteen and seven thirteen and sixteen, probably, there's a lot of time Lord continuity going into those stories. I suppose it starts with Genesis where you hardly go more than a couple of stories without some kind of a mention of them.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's interesting because it's actually it started way well back before then. And uh, when John Pertwee yeah, was on Earth, really right when, the, the, when yeah. the third doctor was on Earth and and when they had the money to actually bring them to another planet, the, the Time Lords were interfering. OK, <laughs>
0: that's right. Yes, of course.
1: They're, I mean, they're supposed to not be interfering. We never interfere, but they really do. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> but the thing is, once you get out into space, you'd kind of... Ex- well, I, I, I think you would kind of expect that to get left behind. But then you've got Brain of Morbius, mm-hmm. and obviously before that, Genesis of the Daleks, and this story that all add to the mythos of the Time Lords, and they seem to be getting mentioned all over the place. And then you've got Deadly Assassin and The Invasion of Time.
1: Oh yeah, and uh, you know what? And it actually continues on, where the Doctor's doing things for the Time Lords at times, even as late as Colin Baker in Attack of the Cybermen. Um, It it could be argued.
0: Unless we should forget the two Doctors. And the
1: two Doctors, yes.
3: Yeah.
0: So... uh, How does anybody feel about the Time Lords? And the sort of imposition of them onto the format of Doctor Who, Stephen um you know with the first sort of 6 years or so of the program no mention of them whatsoever apart from maybe the time meddler and then all of a sudden they're, they're popping up all over the place
2: i think it's a shame that the deadly assassin is so good i kind of i kind of a uh make it akin to Star Wars in a way and that Star Wars was an awesome film but it changed the way that films were made and not really for the better because it it created what you know the blockbuster and so studios stopped making you know good intent stories and just focused on blockbusters it kind of ruined the movie industry by saving it and the Deadly Assassin did sort of the same thing for the Time Lords it was such a wonderful story and created this huge mythos and and uh, and you know legends uh, in that one st- I mean we're still quoting the 13 uh, regenerations today yeah. it's a throw line by Eric Chitty and we're still like saying like <laughs> Matt Smith's 11 I mean they're gonna have to write something in really it it was a throwaway line I, I think we can get by it and and be, ever since then I mean you know yes they've they uh and they're mentioned obliquely in in underworld and of course invasion of time tries to duplicate the success of deadly assassin and fails and then and then after that it's all time and cry they have a time lord in the tardis along with the doctor and it, it's it kind of devalues it after after a while and, and by the yeah. time you get into the 80s they're all sitting in coffee shops and gallifrey and, and, and <laughs> me- meagerly <laughs> attended board meetings and it's just it's just become like a corporate entity, Gallifrey now, you know, and it, as opposed to maybe maybe it's a natural sign of the decline we saw between War Games and uh, Deadly Assassin that we now have these really paltry meetings. You'd expect them to have like you know dried out bread sandwiches or something <laughs> halfway in between, uh, you know, whenever Flavia sort of makes a motion, oh, bring in the sandwiches, you know. <laughs> so, so I th- I think actually the, the on screen uh, nature of of Gallifrey. as sort of represents the, you know, my on-screen enthusiasm with them being there. So it's it's a shame but it kind of had to happen.
0: You know, Mark and I are going to be talking about Ark of Infinity next week.
2: <laughs> I wish And I think <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think we're actually going to be both rather nicer about it than you probably would be.
2: Hm. Uh yeah, I'm I'm I I don't know what you're going to say about it, but I'm going to say that you're probably going to give it a glowing review compared to what I would. <laughs>
0: well even if it's not glowing it'll be glowing compared to that (laughs) look we were gonna do the next two stories up drew and i tossed a coin and they came out in one particular order but i'm going to reverse that order and talk about the invasion of time next came joint fourth but the invasion of time seen as we're on the time lords and the thing was it was never supposed to be a time lord story
2: no, what was the story behind this thing? Because I I get confused over the years with this one. I have to admit into into why it was made the way it was and the killer the killer cats of Ginseng or something like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 Because it, it was at the original thing. There's supposed to be some strange cats, and I heard it was. I'm gonna have to watch the DVD again because I think a lot of the DVD production notes de- debunk a lot of myths that I had sort of believed over the past thirty odd years regarding the story. But it, it, oh, I'm. It, it again I'm probably only going
0: to repeat the myths <laughs> could,
2: well because it again was another one of those you know i think uh, industrial action was really thwarting them yeah. and i think they, the that script fell through as well so they had to basically um and they didn't have the studio time they lost because of strength so they had to shoot it at some disused hospital on ob video um which is a remarkable job really i mean at the time as as a kid i was thinking, look at these awesome long corridors and strange ikea chairs in them and you know suntarns running down them and and i i didn't even mind the brick interior of the tarnis to be honest i thought that was kind of cool too um but
0: when you're when you're tiny you don't notice the change between you know um videotape and film oh no no so
2: we're bred doctor who fans we find that out pretty damn quick (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> i got I got to say, when I first saw it, and I would have been probably, I don't know, nine, I guess, something like that, eight or nine. And I, I didn't know the difference between the VT and the <laughs> film. And those sections at the end in the TARDIS, I just thought, wow, they've built this huge TARDIS. <laughs> 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 oh I see, I okay. see Yeah,
2: yeah. I wouldn't have known o- ob video either, you know. Just like the massive no. huge theater set they built for talons of Wang Chiang. Isn't that wonderful what they did with the money <laughs> back then?
0: Yeah, yeah. But the the other point is, of course, that there was never supposed to be a strictly Time Lord story in this season, and then when the killer cats of Jen Sing or whatever it was did fall through and they were supposed to be filming that at Wembley Stadium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> they were supposed yeah, that to
1: fill it been. up with killer cats. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. What would what earth would that have looked like? It would have been a set like the one at the end of uh, Grady's show in the galaxy of the amphitheater. <laughs>
2: and some rocks <laughs> in a tent. tent. Yes. yeah. parking it's lot. Just
0: about three dozen seats pretending to be Wembley Stadium. <laughs> mm hmm. But that, that's the amazing thing. The Deadly Assassin suddenly gets this sequel, which is The Invasion of Time, which is written... I, don't, I can't remember. I don't know what the lore on this thing is, but it was written in just a few days as a replacement for something else that they were apparently, according to one source, never going to film. And then according to somebody else, it was on the cards right until the last minute. Whatever. Either way, Invasion of Time at the very last minute becomes a sequel to Deadly Assassin, and the thing that really strikes me about that is, because they got in so quickly with a sequel to Deadly Assassin, all of a sudden that sets a template for Time Lord stories being something of a standard for the series, whereas if The Invasion of Time had never happened, and Deadly Assassin had never got that sequel, I wonder if further down the line they ever would have made things like Ark of Infinity, or whether it would just have been forgotten and left behind with the Deadly Assassin.
2: Yeah, that's a very good point, you know, and the fact that they actually had the Panopticon set was pretty much the deciding factor to to make this. Well, what set do we have? We have the invasion of, we have the Panopticon. Let's do a story around that and done. You're right. That's interesting. I never thought about that.
0: Now, well, this is kind of how I tend to sort of think about the program. Josh, were you about to say something?
1: No, I was just going to agree with that. I, 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 who knows if they would have taken it in another direction. I, don't, I, I think that Invasion of Time falls under the same uh, definition as Underworld does. It was, it was done at the very last minute. It was done with no money. Um, it was done with several barriers in their way, including the industrial action that was taking place. And, and it was a story that they could film. Uh, they uh, so uh, and and i think the story is something like you know graham williams and anthony reed uh went away for three days solid and drank coffee the entire time and and over a 72-hour period got very little sleep and and wrote this out uh and if and if you look at it from that perspective it's a beautiful thing uh and it's 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 pretty amazing what they were able to come up with in, in that short period of time now you could agree that the vardens are are kind of pathetic uh when when they when they come <laughs> when they come to pass you expect something a little bit more significant there than what you saw um they even pointed out which is a fa- they're just they're just human uh <laughs> and uh you know the shiny uh you know, whatever it is, uh, aluminum foil, uh, monsters. Yeah. Uh, but, but yep. Yeah, but overall, um, overall, I, I like, I like how they did it. I, 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 think that they, the, the template had been set to do kind of a four part and two part when, um, when it was during the Philip yeah. era and they just took that template and moved it forward. Uh, and that's exactly what they did. They had two invasions of Gallifrey and the doctor solved them both. So,
0: not the wrong and with the, um, Oh, God. I was just going to say, regarding the Vardens, I never saw that as a problem. Watching it retrospectively, I don't see that as remotely a problem because the Santarans are just around the corner. Right. So, the Vardens don't really need to be strong.
1: Yeah, this, it's weird because it's...
0: But watching it... Yeah.
1: So- sorry to interrupt. Uh, go, on, go on. There was go on. there was a throw it's there was right. a throwaway line in the story, and I don't remember the exact line, but it's something th- the two old time lords are talking. There's two old time lords talking, and they're talking about how you know they've been doing studies about wavelengths and, and something of that nature. And that that throwaway line actually is kind of important because it has to do with how they defeated the Vardens in the first place. Is figuring out how they traveled on these wavelengths. And and how actually K9 ended up defeating them, right? It was you know, yeah. and it was it was as a kid you're like, ah, why didn't they just do that in the first place? Uh, God, why couldn't they get that information out? And one last thing I'll say about um, uh, is Tom Baker in this story, and how he had to portray him himself as you know evil Tom Baker, evil Fourth Doctor, and it's something that bothered me as a kid, but as I look back on it as an adult watching it, uh, I mean, he really, he played it off perfectly and the idea was that he, they were reading his mind so he had to either think about nothing or think about, you know, the negative things, the evil things. Being evil, right. Yeah. So I thought that, that in was fact, interesting. Go on.
0: You know, given that Tom Baker is kind of famous for playing up once you get Graham Williams in charge, the The performance he gives in The Invasion of Time is pretty astonishing, really.
1: Oh, yeah.
3: No, I mean, no Mark, doubt about it. Go uh, ahead, Mark. Go Sorry. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, um, you mentioned about the, putting it in the same category as Underworld. Um, I think I remember reading somewhere that Graham Williams and Tom Baker went to see Star Wars when it came out, and that was actually at the same time that they were producing these, and it must have been quite a depressing thing for graham williams walking out of the cinema having seen <laughs> that and going back to what budget he had to work with and try and produce something that would look good on the screen so again you yeah, know it's it's a, applauding their ability to get something out um yeah it's quite quirky looking at it now the whole thing of using the hospital as the interior of the tardis um but like you said before I and mean, you just kind of accept it when you're younger and you watch these things and you, know, you just go along at with it. Time, I remember at the time, being... it seemed completely natural. Yeah, on, I remember sorry. thinking the Sontaran was quite freaky, that when he takes off his helmet and you've got those weird... I don't know what they did with his eyes. It just looked different from the, the ones that came later. <laughs> That's Very just odd. how Derek Dedman looked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that voice as well. He's not wearing a mask. No, he isn't. That's how he looks <laughs> in real life.
1: They
2: didn't have to put any makeup on him at all. And the whole Sontaran thing, thing,
3: that was a bit odd.
2: Yeah, Does but as a oh, yeah. as a kid, uh I, I I remember seeing the cliffhanger to episode 4 and thinking this was just about the coolest thing I had ever seen <laughs> at that yeah. point. Uh, you know, cuz uh, Josh you mentioned the 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 hard, you know, the four part, the two part story. There has never been a harder line drawn. There's the theme music almost kicks in yeah. um, when they when the second two part story kicks in. But when the Sontarans came down those steps and just, oh my god, this mm-hmm. is the best story ever. You know, yes, yes. It was just, I mean, it was just a story for kids. I mean, you got time lords, you got fighting and arrows and stuff, and uh, and then all of a sudden the Santarans show up for the last two episodes, which basically just turns into a run around, but. But it's fun, And you know, the,
0: the talk. people talk about that cliffhanger, episode one of Earthshock. People talk about that all the time. But Invasion of Time, you've already had four episodes before they turn up. That's a real
2: shocker. Yeah. You don't expect it. You so no, you do not expect it. That's them. right. Yeah. That music.
1: What was the, yeah, what was the, the music, Steve? Wow 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 wow, 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 wow. Like that. Assume, yeah.
2: Good stuff by Dudley. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> moving on everybody's favourite story uh, the one that tied with the invasion of time in our voting is I say everybody's favourite story I'm going to get a few groans now I think The Invisible Enemy but look I have very very fond memories of The Invisible Enemy I absolutely adored that when I first saw it when it was first on
2: hmm. that's good for you Joe. <laughs> <That's great. laughs>
0: yeah I don't adore it now <laughs> It's, apart from the introduction of K-9, which of course astonishingly is in the second episode, I think that first episode is really, really spooky. Probably even more so than the first episode of Image of the Fendar, which is famously the spooky one. But there's something about the Doctor and Leela wandering around this almost deserted base on the planet of this moon over Saturn or whatever it was. And it's just lots of big, empty rooms, and they don't know who's been taken over and who hasn't been taken over. It's, if that had been a film, if that had been a movie, that would have been a really spooky, grown-up science fiction movie. Not too far removed from things like Alien, in fact.
2: Mm-hmm. And and it looks fantastic. I mean, I know I'm focusing on the uh, the visual aspect of Doctor Who it seems, but but uh, I think the Graham Williams era was had some really great model photography, and there's some fantastic stuff, like legitimately fantastic model work. And when the, the shuttle sort of arrives and um, and is transported underneath the, the base and everything, and it it brought me to mind when you mentioned that um, that Tom Baker and Graham Williams went to see Star Wars. And sort of walked out of the seminar going, well, that's there's a future sci-fi right there. And I remember Matt Irvin, uh, who did the visual effects on Invisible Enemy, said that we could, you know, we could do one shot basically that will look as good as Star Wars, but that will be it for the budget. We cannot do yeah. 200 more shots like they have in Star Wars. And so I think they they put a lot of money into some of the model stuff, but I think other elements of the Invisible Enemy are sort of let down
0: although some great sets i think there's some great sets at least at the start of the story perhaps not not when they get to the uh you know the hospital in space Hmm. in fact you know it all becomes a bit of a disappointment then but you know for the kids then you've got K nine turning up
2: (laughs) yeah which is never a bad thing (laughs) no
0: and then episode three, it's like Deadly Assassin all over again. Episode three of The Invisible Enemy takes place almost entirely inside Tom Baker's head.
1: Mm.
2: Well, that's a, that's a Bob Baker, Dave Martin thing, where they, every, every episode of their four-part stories, they seem to have to have set in a different place. You know, like episode one's on the, uh, the base on Titan, two is in the hospital, three is in the doctor's mind, four is back on the base again. You know, it does the same thing in Hand of Fear. Um, yeah yeah you know where it's in hospital power plant power plant and then back on castria designers must have hated them you know given the <laughs> amount of money they had to do with building three entirely different worlds and it's it's not a surprise that by episode three or four all the money's run out and they can't build any more sets for for the bristol boys and their stories yeah
0: they must have seen keys of mariners
3: just one time too many <laughs> when they were kids <laughs> exactly yeah J. R. you said Josh, it would have made J- a good uh, movie go on sir. you said it would have I made think a good movie I, yeah Have you not seen The Fantastic Voyage? Well, yeah. That's only one episode, though. I think
0: the whole of The Invisible Enemy... In fact, in certain ways, it reminds me of the Star Wars stories. You look at something like Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi, and you've got three distinct locations, each for about half an hour. Mm -hmm. It's not that far removed from what um, Bob Baker and Dave Martin did with The Invisible Enemy. And a Hospital in Space... Very Star Wars kind of a
3: setting. Yeah.
2: They were there were ideas people, that's for sure. They had big yeah. ideas for the show and then their budget kind of brought them back down to earth. Yeah. May the force be and with Joel, you, it's Joel, not as catchy you, as
3: uh, contact has been made.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well that's another Bob Baker and David. Well, the Martin quest thing. is the quest. Yeah, the quest is the quest. Uh Eldred must live. Have- so on. Yeah.
0: That's a weird thing they do actually. Did they do that in the poetry stories? They don't really do, they?
2: Um, Clause of Axos.
0: Trying to think.
2: Yeah, as we all scanned back through our minds. <laughs> yeah. Our, uh, three doctors not so much. Yeah, I think it just sort of became a Tom Baker thing. Even they, they they had a thing with language, even the uh, on the set on the uh, like station is spelled up more phonetically than it is properly, right, and, yeah, you know, which I thought was just a stupid mistake at the time, but apparently it wasn't <laughs> intentional and then and then you understand, and all these other various <laughs> different uh language quirks that uh the South Africans in uh, oh, the yeah, experiment are yeah, yeah. yeah. talking about, so yeah, they've always had a thing with language,
1: yeah,
0: I was going to ask Josh. Did your feelings, because my feelings on The Invisible Enemy, I loved it when I was a kid, and then I suppose as a young adult, whenever I saw it, I just thought, oh my God, what is this? And now I kind of appreciate it somewhere in between the two. Is that a story, and are there stories in this season, but not necessarily in this season, where you have, you know, your feelings change over time in that kind of a way? Well,
1: as a kid, I I didn't like any story where the Doctor was incapacitated for a long period of time. Uh, I just, I liked it when the doctor was in control. So uh, that's probably one of the reasons I didn't like this when I was a kid. And I don't like the doctor pointing a gun at Leela. That bothered me as well as a kid. Uh, it, it was just, I don't know. And, uh, th- I, I just have this picture in my head of, um, Tom Baker and Louise Jameson, you know, with the wind going in their face, you know, where are we going now, doctor? to the world of fantasy, Leela. I just felt like it was like Doug Henning, you know, meets uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, it was just it was just very uh, um the it was a little over the top there. Uh so as as a kid, you know, that's the reason I didn't like it that much. I never was a big fan of K nine, but I think that it worked in this story. Um I just I just I always put myself in the story and what I would do and what I would think and I always felt for Leela in this story because I think that she um, you know, she was, she was the reject, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. and, uh, you know, she, she had a, you always diffi- feel for
3: the hot chick in the skimpy outfit, don't yeah, you?
1: Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong. So as an adult, <laughs> as an adult, I, you know, I, I think I like it even a little less, uh, but that's probably because, uh, probably because many of the same reasons. And I, I just thought that the set of, uh, uh, was, uh, a sort of attempt inside the doctor's mind was a little bit weak uh but you know overall i'll if only <laughs> i'll take i'll take this story I... over many <laughs> trust me
0: um i was gonna say if only they'd been able to build the inside of the doctor's mind with the same kind of money they had for planet of evil can you imagine what it would have <laughs> yeah, looked like
1: then? it would have looked amazing and i, I mean I'll, I'll say this that as an adult and we'll talk about image of the fendol later but As an adult, you asked me about season six fifteen as a whole. Um, Many of the season 15 stories I appreciate a lot more as an adult than I did as a kid. And that says a lot because I loved them as a kid. I guess it's watching later Doctor Who or earlier Doctor Who that makes me appreciate it that much. And no specific story in mind, by the way. I'll say that as an overall.
0: No, it's a It's a funny old season. I can't... You know, there's a part of my mind that can't get to grips with season 15 that says, you know, season 14 is amazingly strong. Season 16 is amazingly strong. And season 15 is just so inconsistent. But the stories... I do enjoy the stories.
1: Yeah. I I love... I mean, today... I mean, I'll watch Image of the Fendal many times. I love Image of the Fendal. We'll we'll get to that in a minute. But it's just... The, some of these stories have that dual ability to get the kid involved and get the adult involved. And when you have those types of stories in any season of Doctor Who, then, then it will translate as an adult as it did as a kid.
0: And that's absolutely what they're trying to, well, what they have been trying to do these days, obviously, of course. Right. Anyway, let's let's uh, move on to the story we collectively voted our third favorite of season 15. Although for two of you, you jointly voted it second favorite of season 15. Can you guess what it is?
1: Image? Image of the Vandal?
0: No, it's the No, it's, it's the Sunmakers.
2: Sun I've got the chart yeah. in front of me so I didn't bother guessing, that's why. <laughs> I re- <laughs> I recused from the contest. Time Lord. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Fair enough, fair enough. But Mark, where did you vote it? Let me remind myself where you voted it. You voted it uh oh fourth. And I voted it fifth, I'm afraid to say. Boo. I know Boo. it's I know it's Robert Holmes and I know it's fun and it's funny and it's quite scathing and he kinda of, he puts a lot into the characters. But the one thing about The Sunmakers that I can never get over is that it's just a lot of people standing around in rooms and corridors and not an awful lot else. Not that I don't enjoy it. I just think I enjoy the other stories more, perhaps for the variety.
3: Hmm. Yeah, it's not one I find I go back to very often. Yeah, a lot of the stories will stand repeated viewings, especially because I'm a nerd and that's the kind of (laughs) thing I tend to do. Uh, But, yeah, I just... I don't know, there's something about the Sunmakers. It just didn't quite grab me. And yet it's got a great,
0: again, a great first episode, a great opening on the roof of that building.
2: With the port, yeah, oh, yeah. with poor Cordo almost jumping off, yeah, suicide. That's this. This is how the <laughs> Graham Williams uh, era lightened up. You know, There one of two. One of two. One is assisted suicide, about which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Uh, and and this and this one is where Cordo nearly jumps off the roof, and of course where they uh, eventually throw the uh, yeah the, they the guy at, at, the end, the, <laughs> yeah. at the end. It's really oh, bloodthirsty the, in a way. Oh,
1: uh,
0: uh, episode three cliffhanger where Leela is about to be boiled to death.
2: Yeah. Boy oh. in gas, you know. And the and the collector yeah. is like I think, Oh, this is where I get the first feeling of job satisfaction. <laughs> you know, and he's just, <laughs> just like, Wow, this is crazy.
0: He's a great character. He is and but, also yeah. gather, ahead. Gather, gather a hade. Gather a hade. Your sagacity
2: Great. I laugh so much at this. But you're right, it's weird how there, there's so much there's so many grim things going on, but the fact that it's played so fantastically, uh, it's sort of it, it's very fairy tale in a way, the Graham Williams era. So anything that is overtly violent or or gruesome or something, it's really kind of downplayed by just the overall atmosphere of the whole thing, and so it just feels like a a, a little, you know, not realistic obviously because there aren't six suns on Pluto, for instance. But it's it's there's a certain way that they play it that just makes it. You know, it's <laughs> gather a hate sort of looks like. Oh, what are you doing to me? That sort of thing, as opposed to ah, you're throwing me over the side of a building. You know, it's it's the reactions to things that that sort of lessen the impact, so to speak. Oh, I, and Louise Jameson it, says it's her it, favorite. Kind of, yeah, it does. Yeah, she does.
1: I mean, it's it's in the Graham Williams area. You find there's a lot of political and economic, and uh, it's it's interesting because I think that, that that was trying to veer the audience into an older audience and this one the adults really appreciate this one because of the subtle uh messages inside of it you know with the uh with the tax man etc um and and it 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 really it talks to adults in a a really uh, cool way and and kids enjoy it too because you know the gunfighting and all the other stuff but but some really like a ad- little guy in the potty <laughs> there's some really uh, adult themes in this one also which is you know the correction center and and the usage of pcm which is uh, uh, essentially they put something in the atmosphere that makes that that pushes people down and makes people feel like they can't um they they will never have a revolution makes them submissive. yeah makes them submissive these these are all really adult themes uh and and things that probably pass by the kid who's watching it uh more than more than other types of stories that we've seen in the past I mean we've sort of moved on from uh, trying to remake some old hammer horror films and now we're we're doing political thrillers uh and uh, you know this one, Obviously, is not, not all that scary. If, if you like your Doctor Who to be really, really scary, this one probably wouldn't uh, fall into that department. Uh, but, you know, as a story goes, and as a fun story goes, um, this one falls very high on my scale of the, of the, of the seasons.
0: And in fact, the, the, the in into the story in the first episode is because this guy can't pay his taxes. And I think that would have gone over that particularly. You know, for a kid watching, you need an in into the story. And some guy who can't pay his taxes, that's not really going to do it for you, is yeah. it?
1: That is true. But
0: the funny thing is, as a kid, my in into the story was, you know, the little guy in the potty. I just thought that was really freaky, and that's a really vivid (laughs) memory from watching this. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and
2: he's he's got a funny voice. It's something that children can sort of laugh at and be frightened of at the same time.
0: Oh yeah, 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 and probably do impersonations of in the playground the next the next week at school. Definitely. (laughs) Which is where I think Aliens of London was successful, and everybody hates that. (laughs)
2: all the kids in their fart gags on the monday at school yeah then. is that why
0: yeah yeah maybe but i don't know there's a little bit of political well no it's, we shan't go down I, that, I, yeah, yeah. I think it's there's all a about line... the potty
3: for you is isn't it <laughs> i think
0: there's a line to be drawn between the sunmakers and aliens of london <laughs> but i'm not going to draw it here and now mark any more thoughts about the sunmakers oh um blake hmm. seven villa
3: yeah yeah, he makes a little appearance there. And you've got the world's biggest Visa card as well, which I think they had to tone down a bit. because <laughs> That was comical, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. problems, Park, yeah. like.
2: It's good to see the cards become much larger in the future. <laughs> Such a convenient size pocket <laughs> size. Thicker, exactly, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like and bricks. World, have you got your credit oh. brick with you? Yes, <laughs> I <happen to. laughs> have you. Dislocated my shoulder of- pulling it out of my wallet, but I've got it. And
0: a hole in the wall that takes up half the street. <laughs> I
1: know. No, but I mean, I mean, just 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 one more thing on this. I, I, there's there's also there's there's also the there's some really great dialogue in this. The dialogue between the Doctor and Gatherer Hayde when they're sitting there, and he gives him the raspberry leaf, and and that whole discussion, you know, where the Doctor's sort of playing a part, and and the Gatherer is trying to. Infiltrate, you know, uh, the, with the Ajax, etc., and also the discussion between the doctor and the collector, which is also a uh, a, a f- really great dialogue there. Uh, lots of great Robert Robert Holmes goodness in this one, and you have to appreciate that.
0: Yeah, but sadly, of course, this was this it was Robert Holmes kind of coming to the end of his inspiration really if it hadn't been for the fact that he'd had this sudden tax bill that he hadn't been expecting i wonder what he would have made of this story (laughs) because if you take that stuff out there's not a lot left really is there
2: well not so much well but doctor who needed to talk about taxes in some sort of way it was it was kind of cool it was a good platform i thought, for him
1: well i mean i i would probably argue that that you know there there are several ways to to take over a a people and and one way is economic and i i, I think that that's mm-hmm. that's a an area where they they've never they've never gone to it, it's always been with guns and in this case it wasn't yeah, yeah it wasn't it was you know taxing them to death
2: yeah it wasn't evil just greed yeah that's the only that was what was driving yeah you know yeah
0: I think I think actually that says a lot about the Graham Williams era as a whole because if you look through seasons 16 and 17, there's a lot less outright villainy and an awful lot less monsters than you had been getting for the past decade in Doctor Who. All of a sudden the stories become a far greyer area, I think, and I think that pretty much sums up Graham Williams as a whole, really, with the odd exception, of course. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But, I mean, even if you look at City of Death, Skarros not doing it because he's a villain. He's doing it because he wants to put his race back together. Which you is know, admirable enough. A, it's
2: admirable enough yeah. for Romano to sort of buy into it for a few minutes.
0: There's a whole... That, 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 that seems to me to be a theme of Graham Williams, particularly. That's one a theme that I associate with his era. But, anyway, let's move on mm-hmm. to the story we voted second, which was Image of the Fendal.
2: And that was largely because of me and Mark, actually. Stephen, you voted that second to last. It has never been a story to register with me, and 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 I saw—I said I saw *Underworld: and Invasion of Time* relatively young, like bits of, of 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 the stories. I never saw them front to back. Um, and then I sort of eventually watched all the stories in order, and then eventually came up. I sort of ended my classic series run almost with uh, watching st- uh, season fifteen. Oddly enough, as a nice little bookend. Um, and so image of the Fendal, i don't have any childhood memories of that oddly enough and so i I honestly don't have many vivid recollections even now of of that story other than it being really dark and spooky and 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 somewhat refreshingly slow slower paced and um and there was a cool atmosphere to it, but at the end, I had no idea what 's going on i just wanted to vent them in gold paint. Appearing and disappearing in corridors and sort of waving her arms about and and not really sure what's going on. All of a sudden, there's a big giant implosion and the thing ends. And and then you've got your assisted suicide as well. And then you've so got your assisted suicide. It is so dark. Oh my heavens! This story is so desperately dark. And anything that it does, even down to the possession of poor uh, poor Thea um, Ransom. Is that her name? Yep. I can't remember. Yep. Now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you think this was maybe a story too far for Chris Boucher? Because I think in spite of some production problems, maybe with the face of evil, I think his first two scripts were really strong. And this one, although there are some really nice scenes and some really well drawn characters, it doesn't quite hang together like those first two.
2: Chris, uh, there's that, yeah, there's that odd scene where, odd few minutes where the Doctor and Leela hop on the TARDIS for whatever reason to discover Planet 14 and then come back. It's a strange little detour from the story. I think Chris Boucher's um, main strength in anything that he's written, possibly more so than anyone else who's ever written in Doctor Who, quite frankly, is is, is interaction between characters. You, you watch robots of death, and um, it's not a surprise that they've made audios later on. Was it... Uh, um, Blake 7 audios that are sort of take place in the, in the robots of death universe because the interaction between characters in Blake Seven is very similar to robots of death it's very similar to star cops which he ra- uh, he made in the in the mid to late 80s and here there's slightly less but there's there's some great little dialogue between um, uh, adam colby and uh, and and Max and the others like the, the people in the house there have some great little connection there and it just seems natural and witty and and neat but the the story around it doesn't quite hold together but i i think i watch chris belcher's scripts mostly for the character interactions
0: but there's some really nice ideas mark you must m- have liked this one you voted yeah. it second
3: i'm a real sucker for this one um i love the characters um Stephen mentioned it was a very spooky story I think the first episode in particular, we've got the whole stuff going on in the forest with the guy wandering along, and you've got the fog. Um, that, I think, is really um, exciting to watch. And, uh, and the skull. Yeah, and the yeah, skull. freaky skull. And no
2: music, and no music for the yeah. most part. Apart from one little snippet, it's all just the sounds of the, uh, the, the skull and the... Scanner. The ...equipment that are going... The scanner, thank mm-hmm. you, yeah. Oh, and they've got that um,
3: computer that looks like a a Commodore pet with an orange keyboard which is pretty cool <laughs> yeah, sorry going least, nerdy yeah. again um, and you've got Ma Tyler I mean Ma Tyler she should have been a companion <laughs> she was awesome
2: Tom Baker does really well with older women doesn't he he does uh, yeah
3: he still does <laughs> shut up <laughs> uh, maybe it's my West Country bias there but yeah she's, she's cool um, and yeah JR you mentioned and the obviously yes That's oh wrong. yes and the beautiful one. Very of freaky. freaky. Oh.
1: I love this story. Yeah. I, I, I <laughs> Benedict absolutely mother. Go on. freaking love this story. And uh, I mean, I think it holds together beautifully. Actually, I don't. And honestly, that that little trip in the TARDIS was to the fifth planet, which is in pieces all around uh, between between the uh, between the rocks and the gas giants. And right, and, yeah. and I said Planet 14. That's in the invasion That's, that's right. But I mean, yeah. the, the fact <laughs> of the matter. I mean, again, they're trying to explain how humans. Uh, they did this in the, the demons. They did it. They've done it several times. How humans uh, uh, evolved. But th- this this idea that this creature um, forced the humans to evolve in a certain way that that they can be eaten essentially is an interesting and weird idea. And it was very claustrophobic. I think we uh, Mark uh, brought up you know the the, the hiker and in the fog and and it just mm. felt very claustrophobic and it felt like it was all in one place. And the lighting was absolutely spot on, perfect. And and uh, Doctor Fendelman was absolutely insane. I mean, with the gun holding the gun. I mean, it was come on, Max. It was. I mean, it was all this, you know, leading up to uh, the Fendal being created, and you could feel the lead up happening, everything that was occurring was this leading up to this horrible creature that eats human souls Uh, and it was, and add that to all the great dialogue in this one, and Tom Baker was spectacular in this one, add all those things together and the assisted suicide and you know what, you've got a great story All right. I just remembered um,
3: also Leela when she attacks the council guy who's trying to trim the hedges, that's awesome. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and the scene with the cows, that's this one, isn't it? Yes, the yes, scene that's with right. the
0: cows at the start. Oh wonderful. <laughs> no, it is. It is Josh. I was playing a bit of devil's advocate at the start there, but I do like this one a lot.
3: Yeah, Stephen, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's any any any, i i rated it what fifth out of six it's it's a it's a it's a high fifth let's put it that way
3: Mm
0: -hmm. well like i was saying i don't think there is a really poor story in this season and most of the problems with the season are budgetary or because of last minute you know last minute story rights and things like this but i don't think there's anything in this season that if they hadn't had the money that Philip Hinchcliffe had, I don't think there's anything here that they couldn't have made
1: spectacular to be honest. Oh definitely Mm. I just I love this But I do
0: I. yeah I do too actually to be fair, I do think that scene in the middle though where they, there's a couple of scenes in episodes 2 and 3 where I'm just kind of scratching my head a bit because if they'd have kept it all completely claustrophobic and within the house and the immediate environs of the house, I think it would have worked that much better. But then again it comes, you know, almost right after Horror of Fang Rock and they've just done that. But the whip where they get in the TARDIS and go off, that always strikes me as a bit of a misstep because then when they come back, why don't they just come back a day earlier and sort it out?
2: Well,
1: th- yeah, well- it's a time machine oh, it's,
2: it's a, they just it's a it's yeah. a it's a location for them to go to, to look up computer banks, you know. Which is what usually K-9's job was at this point. But
1: you can't go back a couple of days. It's the Blinovich limitation effect. Come on, <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> you can't go back John. in your own time timeline like that. Come on,
2: can't you can't change history? Not one line and so forth.
0: And now you can. Yeah. Okay, let's let's move on to the horror of Fang Rock because that's no surprise. Every single one
3: of us voted that first. Mark, why was that first? Oh, I love this story. Um, the whole setting—it's uh, a really pretty gruesome story. They're all dead at the end. Spoilers. Um, right. I love the—I <laughs> love the look on the face of oh, who's the old guy with the Ruben uh, woolly hat. Ruben. Ruben. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask oh, yeah. Stephen to do it. Ruben. Over. <laughs> Come on,
2: Stephen. was oh. <laughs> <Where's laughs> the, the line? Wishing won't bring Ben back, with it? Or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like Robert Shaw and Jaws, but now the look World on his face. It won't, black, yeah. it won't happen with oil, or whatever. whatever. It won't happen with oil. <laughs> he's got that <laughs> this really creepy into an smile when of the he's, memory cheats. Now, <laughs> <hasn't it? laughs> that's all it is. Yeah,
3: <laughs> he's got that really creepy smile when he's being possessed. Oh, it's, uh, it's terrifying. Yeah, as well. yeah, and the cliffhanger as well. You know, oh my God, I've I haven't locked it out. I've locked it in with us. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, brilliant i could watch oh, that again and again this and again. was
0: absolutely terrifying when i was a kid mm. the idea that you weren't sure who was the monster yeah. i guess it was a bit terror of the zygons in that sense but i couldn't really remember terror of the zygons so this was all brand new to me where you couldn't tell which one of everybody in the cast was the monster and they just put all these people in this one place and you know an isolated location where they get picked off one by one, and you're not quite sure who's on which side.
2: Brilliant, and some great right.
3: characters as well.
2: Oh yeah, Skinsale oh, yeah. and, and yeah, the, trying to buy his way and... out of it. And... Yeah, and it's just oh, Adelaide, uh, I... Adelaide,
1: <laughs> and, and Adelaide. didn't everybody applaud when she got when Lila smacked her? Oh, it's
0: absolutely <laughs> fantastic! Oh my
1: heavens,
0: me! It's uh, not quite. A in terms of the characters though i do do you know i do wonder what somebody like robert holmes might have made of it or chris boucher even because terence Dix does tend to write his characters a little safe shall we say
2: i suppose so but holmes did script edit this so i think he probably had some Mm. tweaking with perhaps various different things i mean this is another one of those things that uh, sort of fell through at least the BBC said bbc yeah. said you can't make the original version which was the vampire right. hunters or whatever that yeah. was called because they were going to do a, a bbc production at the same time and so this is another one of those stop stop gap um graham williams era stories and i honestly i th- i i look at um the ark in space probably spearhead from space uh, the first episode and Horror Fang Rock. If I was to ever introduce someone who had never seen classic Who before, the, as stories that I would show them, I think Horror Fang Rock is the epitome. I think it's Tom Baker's best performance uh, because it, it's just the right. Mark, you mentioned the cliffhanger, you know, the, about yeah. the, the, the episode three, which is stunningly acted mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. played with such uh, sincerity. And then he's got my possibly my favorite line of all time when he sort of comes in and says, "Gentlemen, I have news for you: that this lighthouse is under attack, and by tomorrow we might all be dead." <laughs> <laughs> just, not, just the way he delivers it—he delivers bad news in an entertaining fashion. Mm-hmm. He's just—he's note perfect, and the fact that everything takes place in a lighthouse, one location, um, yeah. and there's this this constant. Sound of like the foghorn going, and it's just the, the atmosphere and the mood, and and you know it's all shut up in Birmingham, so everyone was was doing their level best to try to impress the uh, the London BBC people to see that yes, we can do it too. So I think this, I think the production is probably even a little better. I don't think they could do it that way all the time but because the adrenaline was going and and the need to prove themselves was there i thought it looked real really really good and and patty russell did a fantastic job at directing i was it.
0: just going to mention her you that know was astonishing what she did considering yeah
2: because i mean most of the i mean the round sets you know you are limited by the size of sets that you have and especially up in the lamp room where it's clear and you can't really you can't play with camera angles that much and it's it was just a stunning production i i if i had to choose my uh, top 10 stories in doctor who i'd have a hard time keeping this one out i agree and the best thing about showing this
0: one to a newcomer is you don't get to see the ruten until <laughs> three and a half episodes in
2: exactly <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and even then they, they do a Pretty good job at disguising the fact that it is just sort of a bundle of bubble wrap, you know. And they put some video effects on it and put a cool voice and the interaction between him and Tom Baker when he calls him Oyster Face and such. You know, it's, it's there's they they do a great job of covering up its deficiencies.
0: And everyone was begging out to come back, I think. You know, in the modern series, I'd love to see what they would do with them.
2: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, w- I,
1: w- I want to see. I want to see a one-on-one fight between uh, a Centauran and a Rutan. See how that would go. That would be fascinating. Speaking
0: of Sontarans, as a bit of an aside, now that Stephen Moffat's done Strax, you know, one thing that people are saying is, can you ever do a straight Sontaran
2: story now that we've seen Strax? Hmm. What do you think? Um... I think in the trailer, I think you see a Sontaran in regular battle That's... armor firing his gun off down a corridor. So perhaps we are seeing something of that in the next in the next Maybe. calendar year. Yeah.
0: I think that is Strax, though, in the trailer. You're aren't they probably clones? right about that. Yeah.
2: yeah. But you never you know, know the story... because they're all clones, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so how can you tell? Well, yeah. yeah.
0: The story I'd like to see is the story where the Doctor comes against comes up against the Santarans, and he has Strax. At his side, and Strax has to decide whose side he's on.
2: Ooh, mm-hmm. that'd be a tragic story. I'd hate to see that storyline in a way because <laughs> I like Strax as the. I'd like to Strax throw, uh, see Strax throw some rootin flavored uh, insults, perhaps you know, yeah. to humans. Be- like, what are you a <laughs> stupid? Are you a human or are you rootin or something like that? Or you know, because they they sort of forgot their war, or perhaps in my opinion, Strax never really even saw the war between the Rutans and the Santarans, and sort of been working as a nurse for most of his life that he doesn't quite understand it
0: probably has yeah. he talks so much about the glory of death uh, but you get the feeling that until he actually died himself he'd never really seen it
2: no <laughs> yeah, yeah <that> is, it's, <laughs> I'm enjoying it less than I had anticipated yeah. <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> any more thoughts on horror of Fangrock anyone
3: apart from how wonderful it is
2: it's lovely there you go Agreed. I like the little um,
3: the quote at the end from the um, poem as they leave. I think that just oh ballad of Flannan Isle. Yeah, yeah. It's just wonderful. I can watch it again now. Mm
2: -hmm. Me too. Actually, I'm getting all Like, oh, remember that scene too? Yeah, that's that. I like this format. I like this format of going through it. Uh, in order of favorites, so then we end on a high, and we go, why, wasn't season 15 excellent if we'd ended on something like Invisible Enemy or Underworld <laughs> for some of you going, oh, what a terrible year for Doctor Who <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, imagine if we'd done it the other way around, that would be <laughs> oh, exactly God, can you imagine doing season 19 and finishing with time flow? <laughs> 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 Perish the thought. Oh, hang on a second. Season 19 did finish with yeah, time flow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. End-
1: ending on a high. Yeah.
0: Speaking of ending on a high, um, well, I guess that's it for season 15. But I did promise a surprise for Josh before the end of the episode. Oh, did I not? I- yes. Oh. Hmm. Well, Stephen had his surprise at the start of the episode, but you've got one coming up now, Josh. Okay. So, we do this thing on the Blue Box podcast called On The Spot, don't we, Mark? Yeah, it's
3: an original idea.
0: (laughs) Um, Where did the idea originally come from, Mark?
3: I think it came from uh, Doctor Who MHC. They (laughs) have this thing called the Cutaway Cheats. Stop it. And then somebody else copied (laughs) it.
1: Stop it.
0: (laughs) We have this thing, Josh, where we... Uh, pick somebody Usually at random But tonight I've picked you Okay and we pick a story usually at random but tonight i've selected one especially for you okay. and you have 60 uninterrupted seconds to talk about that story uh, you can say whatever you like uh-oh. you can talk about your memories of it you can say whether you like it or if you mark you can just list the people who are in it <laughs> <laughs> josh it's that'd true. be me too it's just true. so you know Yep. Uh, okay <laughs> But here you go, Josh. You have sixty seconds on the Happiness Patrol oh, starting now. You've
1: got to be kidding me. The Happiness Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> Helena and and Fifi. The best part of Happiness Patrol. Um, is that the right one? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. Okay. Uh so the Happiness Patrol is uh is one of not my favorite stories during not one of my favorite eras. And uh it's Stephen Wyatt's story that Essentially, takes us to a completely other world where happiness. I'm glad you're happy. Happy. I'm glad, uh, or the other way around, and um, it uh, it it is it is paltry, very difficult for me to watch, um, and I've always had trouble with it, um, and I always get this one confused with Paradise Towers. Do you guys get it confused with? Yeah, that? Yeah, I do I too. Oh, I I just I I put them both into one story. And it's very difficult for me to even chat about it because I just don't remember a whole lot of it. And that's on purpose because I've seen it several times.
2: Uh,
0: Well, that's fine because you've done your (sighs) minutes. Well done,
3: well done.
2: And you're obviously confused, Josh, because Stephen Wyatt wrote Paradise Towers and Graham Curry wrote Happiness Patrol, so uh, you've, 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 <laughs> you've actually put a period on your overall, impersona- uh, your overall impression of this story, they, so it worked out perfectly. They
1: are the same person. They are, it's, it's like the, <laughs> it's David Agnew wrote this one. And uh, you know
0: what? Listening to the memory cheats, you and I agree about so much, Josh, but I love the Happiness Patrol. Oh. And I like Paradise Towers quite a lot as well.
1: Oh, you just want to see
0: Mel and swim in so a, a swimming pool. Friendship. Oh no, no no no! I I can live without that scene. Believe me.
1: <laughs> oh my god! It's terrible.
3: What did we say about well trying at least to leave we... it on a high?
0: Yeah yeah. I oh, know. For the rest of us, I enjoyed I enjoyed listening to Josh try and get through those sixty <laughs> seconds. Se- it, seem, it seemed like ah. it seemed
1: like two hours actually. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, thank you guys for coming on the Blue Box Podcast. Yes, thank you. It was really nice to have you on.
2: It's fantastic to be here.
0: Thanks for inviting us. Thank
1: you for inviting us. We appreciate it. Uh,
0: uh, Yeah, it's been a great episode. For me and Mark, it's been something a bit different.
3: Just a bit? Uh, i got a
0: word in edgeways. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> not always the easiest thing with the rest of us no that's true well that's it for this week then and next week you and I mark'll we'll be back with Lee and Simon and we'll be talking about season 20. yes but for this week, thank you Stephen and thank you Josh and until next time,
3: even if contact has been made <laughs> don't panic <laughs> we'll speak again soon <laughs> <laughs>
2: That worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. i was thinking. I don't know the line. Am I supposed to say something?
0: Yeah. <laughs> that was just, ah, you know, that was my little nod to the mostly harmless. The yeah. mostly harmless,
2: which I hope is coming back. Yeah. Next of
1: weeks. Well, I
0: think, I think we
2: up. will be.
1: I think we will be uh, recording for New New Who. If we're not, I'll, I'll just have to, you know, talk to myself and and present it on <laughs> on the Doctor Who podcast a lot. I it. why not uh, no <laughs> nobody wants to, nobody <laughs> nobody wants to hear my voice for 40 minutes or even 10 minutes know. well
0: that's what that's why i tune into the memory cheeks oh i thought it was steven even i'm just kidding
1: <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was steven that's why everybody else listens
0: oh it's anyway
2: no josh it's you, it's oh. you.
1: Stop. Thanks. both
0: you both
2: <laughs> <laughs> Great save at the end. <laughs> uh, I, I suppose I can stop recording then. Right oh now. yeah, I should stop too.
0: Yeah, I was just about to press stop. Um, so, five, four, three, two, one. Piddlesticks! Piddle yeah, everyone, <laughs>
2: everyone was late. Everyone was late.